Hi there, and welcome to a Saturday brunch episode of the Sunday Lunch Project Manager podcast. It's uh, the 12th of December, and I know last week I said uh, that I was not going to be interrupting you until after the new, until around New Year, but um, an interview I did with Adrian Belagion a few weeks ago has, um, to, and really wanted to let him. Uh, it, it was to con- coincide with his book launch, um, and he's had some little delays on the book, but it is now finally out. I was expecting it to be early in the year, new year, but it's now just come out. It's available uh, all over Amazon and places like that, and it's called Teams That Swear. And Adrian and I caught up and had a chat about why he wrote the book, a little bit about him, and a little bit about some of the ideas in the book. Um, so I think. It might be a great opportunity to grab a Christmas present for someone or grab a present for yourself. And uh, there's some really useful points of view. So let's uh, get on with a foul-mouthed Saturday brunch and I'll chat to you after the interview. Right, so today I have uh, the pleasure of interviewing Adrian Belagian, and I'm pleased I got past that name now. Um, it was uh, making me nervous. Uh, a, b- a behavioral consultant, leadership coach, and uh, your biggest supporter. Well, that's what it says on his website. Uh, over the past uh, 17 years working in corporate, community, and sporting environments, he's uh, continued drawn together uh, uh, people and working out ways for them to work better. Um, working with organizations such as Novartis, uh, Australian Tourism, Bupa, uh, to name but a few. Um, he's uh, uh, delivered lots of programs that he's uh, assisted lots of organizations change the way that they are um, managing their, their, their organizations. So uh, Adrian, welcome to the show. Oh, and the reason that I've got Adrian on, I'm, I'm just jumping in here, is that Adrian has a new book coming out which um, piqued my interest, uh, Teams That Swear. So uh, that uh, obviously always draws uh, attention of someone when you hear something like that. So Adrian, welcome. Hi Nigel, thanks for having me. It's such a pleasure. So tell us a bit about yourself. Where are you from? I think people might pick up an accent or not they're hearing there. Yes, I find that people pick up a couple accents. But So I'm originally from a place called Saskatoon. Platoon, Saskatchewan, which oh, right. essentially is in, it's in the middle of Canada. So contrary to belief, the Sasquatch is not from Saskatchewan. But um, yeah, I grew up in the middle of Canada. You know, we had long, cold winters and, and then hot summers for, for two months of the year. Uh, and then about 15 years ago, I uh, jumped on a plane. My wife is from Australia and uh, have been in Melbourne. Yeah, ever since. Excellent. Excellent. So, um, tell us a bit about your uh, history and what you've been doing in your career, and then we'll get onto the the book and about swearing at your teams in a little bit. Yeah, well, look, for the first 17, 18 years of my career, I, wor- I worked in corporates. I worked in some big brands across Canada and Australia. So, I worked with the likes of Imperial Oil and Novartis Pharmaceuticals, and then when I came to Australia... Uh, private health insurance is a big industry here. You can walk into any shopping center and, and, and go and buy a health insurance policy. So I worked with uh, HBA and then Bupa, which you know is a global health and care brand, um, and worked across a number of different departments from marketing management to sales management, risk management, joint venture management. Um, across that time as well, heavily involved in sport at an amateur level. So, you know, of course, Growing up in Canada, by the time you're four years old, you have a pair of ice skates on, and it's just something you learn how to do. It's just the natural, the thing to do. Um, but as I got older, baseball became my sport, where I uh, really got hooked into coaching um, and working with, you know, 16, 17, 18-year-olds and started coaching provincial teams or state teams, and then uh, managed to get a gig coaching baseball in Cameroon and Tunisia. Um, wow. So I suppose that 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 um, that common thread across my career has been really working with diverse groups and how do you get people to work together, whether that's internally as a team or, 
you know, when I worked in the sponsorship space or joint venture management space, it was working with, you know, a different organization and kind of creating your microculture to go, how do we, how do we work together? Even though we've got different cultures, how do we, how do we create a win-win situation? So that's been that common thread is working with those diverse groups to get them to work together. Excellent. And so um, with you saying about the, the baseball, what were you a pitcher? batter what was your your fielder or whatever i don't i don't understand a lot in, in british it's like I, i'm not going to understand it a lot um but uh, yeah what's uh, what is your uh, your what was your speciality then yeah so probably i wasn't much of a hitter and that's something that uh, you have to learn how to do so i struggle with that but i could run they say in, in baseball speed never slumps and i think that's just a polite way of saying that's just something you're given so uh, I could run and I could throw. So often I found myself out in the outfield chasing the balls that are hit far and trying to catch them before they hit the ground. Excellent. So with um, your, your sort of varied career, as you talked about there, with all the different teams that you, you were um, trying to get the best out of, um, what, what made you come up with this Teams That Swear book? What, what made you come up with that concept? Because from what, what I've seen is that you had, um, you have a lot of programs that kind of, um, and, and that hook around this kind of concept. So what, how did you get to that? Well, look, it's, 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 it's a combination of probably the experiences that I've had working in corporate. And I suspect I'm like a lot of people that I've worked with. I was fortunate enough to work with some teams that performed really well. Um, you know, a team that I would, I would say that they, they were a shining team. And then I've worked in some teams where it's been, it's been, it's been a challenge, right? And, and I think it's natural working together as a human race. It's, it's, it's not always the easiest thing, but it's something that we've had to do to survive. Um, so it's, it's a combination of the experience that I had, and I wanted to be able to create sort of a, a checklist, I suppose, for leaders and teams that they could refer to at different stages when they're working with different teams because it's, it's dynamic and you know this last year is, is the best proof that shows you never know what's going to happen and things change very quickly so if you're leading a team there's not just one way to do it it might depend on the stage that your team is at or if you have new people or depending on the projects that you're working on so for me i wanted to create that checklist so that's where after the you know my corporate career I decided all right my next stage is really I want to be able to support leaders in their aspirations to create higher performing teams. And so I spent a good 12 months talking to leaders from across the world and, and, and picking their brains on what worked and then combining that with my experiences and then looking at the research. You know, if you jump on Google, Nigel, you know, and type in high performing teams or how to create a high performing team, you know, you get three and a half million results in 0.3 of a second. So there's lots of advice out there, but I wanted to bring it all, all together. So that was the intent of that book, you know, of, of creating this book. Um, the concept of swearing, this, <laughs> it's a little bit of a funny story. So when I came to Australia, I don't know if, you know, if you've been here, but I find the Australians, you know, they're, they're pretty relaxed, easygoing. And I found that, uh, uh, yeah, I, I just think Australians swear a little bit more. It's just part of the regular language here. And, you know, if you listen to the to the radio talk shows in the morning on the way to school and the way home from school, they're pretty loose with some of their language and even some of the ads on TV. I can remember there was one for the Australian tourism board and it was, you know, how the bloody hell are you? You know, and bloody's probably not at the, at the top of the, the bad swear words, but even compared to Canada, I found that, yeah, they were just a little more relaxed with that. And I had a colleague that I worked with and, um, she she would she was very loose with her language but in a good way like it was one of the, one of the best working relationships that i had and i would tease her a little bit geez you've got a potty mouth and she'd say no no it's good for you and i said yeah whatever right but i was a little bit stubborn nigel i have to admit <laughs> i thought you know i'm gonna jump online and i'm gonna get some evidence to show that it's not good for you but uh unfortunately or fortunately i was proven wrong because there's a lot of research that suggests that uh, swearing can, it can make you stronger. It can make you feel better. And there was a study actually done out of Australia and New Zealand that showed uh, in a couple manufacturing in, um, companies and IT as well. And what they found is that teams that had higher levels of trust obviously performed better. That's, that's probably a no-brainer. But mm -hmm. what they found in those teams is they actually swore more often. 
And what it showed is that people were much more comfortable when they could drop their guard. And that kind of inspired me to think, well, actually, you know what? Swearing isn't such a bad thing, particularly in the team environment. It's more about how and when that that swearing is done. So, you know, if we're swearing by each other instead of about each other, that's a good thing, right? And if we're swearing in front of each other versus behind each other's back, that's a good thing as well. So that, that's kind of how the idea of, you know, teams that swear came about. Uh, but again, it's, it, the idea is to create kind of this checklist for leaders that, that they, they can draw upon at different stages of their careers. All right. So it's, uh, yeah, and I can kind of see where you're talking there is where I know that you can be your kind of in an environment if you're being your true self and you've got all of you in the team being your true self. And one of those true selves might be that you're a you're potty mouth or whatever, but it is, you do with when you're around with your mates, you do swear more. I have a 14 year old daughter who I know when she's around with her mates swears a lot more than she does around me. Yeah. Um, uh, and I swear a lot more when I'm not around here, her, but I think <laughs> the different relationships scenarios there, but it's, but yeah, with teams, I know that there are some people you can have a really frank conversation. You feel comfortable with whether they're team members you're part of or, or, and, and I suppose it goes beyond that. Swearing is a kind of a, a I suppose it's a, um, it, it's me, the, the fact that you f feel like you can swear in front of someone else or you don't think about not swearing about them is that trust element must be a very high up at a high level. I think trust to me seems to be the key thing about teams that I've worked with. Uh, if you don't trust the rest of the team or the leadership of the team, then it's harder to relax and just give your best. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, when you, when you think about teams and even those swearing moments, right? I'll say there's four swearing moments within a team is you can, you can swear by somebody, right? But behind their back. And whilst that's good, but I, I call that a gee whiz moment because I go, gee whiz, it'd be good if you actually swore by them in front of them, right? You're singing their praises. You're going, you're great. I can trust you. Um, but how often do we share that positive feedback? Whereas on, you know, on the flip yeah, side. Yeah, that's true. So that's a really good point because there's that so often that, and just the feedback thing is a general thing. I've seen um, situations where people are, and heard it where you say, oh, right, we're going to give feedback. And everyone assumes that feedback is negative. Mm. And feedback is a system, is part of a system, any system, you get a feedback loop. And it, it's positive and it's just information and you say doing that and saying, right, that person's great to their boss is great. But then if you say it to them, it has much more emphasis, doesn't it? And telling them when they've done it, you did a great job there. Thank you. Do it again. That's feedback. That's, that's all you need to do, isn't it? You don't need to wait to the end of the year when you've forgotten that thing that they did and write it on an appraisal document you've been asked to give out and you're trying to remember with all the other 50 that you've got sat there. It's, it's at that time and it's right bang up, up to date given that it makes massive difference. Well, and it just, it, it encourages people. And, and you know what? You mentioned, you know, he said, good job, keep it going. If you just say, good job, you did really well in that presentation, or you manage that discussion with them as a little murky and it was a little tricky and you did well, all that does is reinforce that behavior. And you don't even have to tell them yeah. to do it again because they're, they, they're like, hey, all right, I'm on the right track. Let's keep going. So it's, it's something yeah. that I find that often goes, it's overlooked. And there's so many good ways to do it. Like, you know, you can tell them face to face or just a little handwritten note or, you know, a voicemail um, or even a team meeting, you know, shouting somebody out, say, hey, this week, you know, we saw Nigel was in a you know, sticky situation with one of his stakeholders, but really managed it well, really focused on listening. Um, well done, Nigel. Right. Yeah. You think about the impact that's going to have Nigel, but the rest of the team as well. There's some shared learning. So it's I just think that's, that's why I call it a gee whiz. I just shake my and go, geez whiz. We missed an opportunity there to, to reinforce something good. Yeah, yeah, it's brilliant. You were saying there's some other, so, as you say there, was, there was four points where, where you could tell. I interrupted there. Sorry, I broke the flow a little bit. No, no, jump in. <laughs> I, 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 like I have that habit. <laughs> <laughs> um, the other, one of the other ones is, is when you actually swear about somebody, but in front of them, right? And so my view is it's, best if, if, if you if you've got some conflict it's best to share that in front of them uh, but I call that a gutsy moment because there's a little bit of risk in that because again you jump on Google and you put swearing at work 
you, you might get a couple pieces of research that show some benefits, but it also comes up as like lawsuits about, you know, bullying and that sort of thing. So when you're swearing in front of people uh, about them, you've got to be very careful. Obviously, it can't be a personal. It could be about behaviors, but I always say that's a gutsy moment. I think there's probably better ways that we're swearing. You don't have to swear about them in front of them. It's more about sharing, hey, here's my perspective on what happened. This was the impact on me. What are your thoughts, right? So, but I think when you're doing that kind of swearing, it's gutsy. Where there's another one where it's you're swearing about somebody behind their back, that's gutless, right? And that's yes. where I think that's where leaders really can role model by not doing that. And then if they are noticing that within the group, it's about, you know, calling out their people saying, well, what are you doing to fix it? Right. Versus just having a good old vent and, and, and gossip or, you know, or swearing about somebody behind their back. Um, that's where leaders, if they can really encourage, sometimes they need to, the person needs a vent so they can listen, but it's really about picking them up going, right. What, what are your next steps to fix that situation? No, that makes sense. I think it's, it, I think we've all been guilty of doing that. And, and it's, it's, it's kind of human nature, especially depending on where the situation isn't as well. But I don't think it, as you say, it can, it's a short term benefit makes you feel a bit better, but it's that behind the back gossip thing that if, if someone's saying that, if, if someone's saying that about me, about Joe or whoever, yep. um, that what are they saying when my back's turned and that's what that creates doesn't it that that doubt and again it erodes trust yeah um, and, and I, I did hear once someone I, I don't know if, it, if you there's a, a podcast out of this a podcast out of the states called manager tools which whoever's listened to this has heard me mention it many times before if they've listened to more than one episode um that um they talked about the fact that uh um, I've lost my thread now about the the fact that if you are um, no gone it's gone it's completely gone apologies carry on with it. you no, carry on next, next point it'll come up in a minute and I'll remember it but it was, <laughs> I'm having one of those moments <laughs> um, I'm familiar with the podcast and when you were talking about that what popped into my head was when there's conflict between two people you know, what's the manager's role in that? Do they act as, as the mediator? You know, it's like being a parent when the two kids come and talk to you. <clears throat> and as a parent, do you try and sort it out? Or is it more if someone comes to you with an issue, you know, they might be swearing about somebody, not to necessarily come up with a solution, but more to coach them around the behaviors to fix this, to come to a solution. Yeah. Um, and, and that to me, is that's the, the key role is the manager is not to fix that problem, but it's more to coach and support the individual so that they're in a position to go and fix that problem and, and, and have the proper conversation with the yeah. person that, that they're having that, that issue with. But where, um, when it comes to swearing the fourth moment, right. And this is where you're swearing by somebody and um, in front of them, I just say that's a gold star moment, right? You get a gold star for that because again, it, it's that positive reinforcement. It shows the team what behaviors uh, are encouraged you know, kind of set the bar for everybody. And that to me, that's, that's the moment that we aim for is those gold star moments when things are going well, people know about it and are encouraged to continue it. How do, with, with those scenarios, how do you think about, um, and this is again, it's an interesting one around sort of people's natural tendencies and behaviors around um, certain sort of, uh, what's the word? Um, sort of more reserved characters who don't necessarily like being or get embarrassed by that recognition in front of a group, but still you want to be able to do that that kind of real positive reinforcement. How how, how do you sort of go around those sort of things, and what's your sort of advice on that sort of stuff? Because it is difficult. So what you don't want to do is by telling someone they're great in front of the team, patting them on the back, giving them a little prize or whatever, and whatever technique you, you, you use and then put them in a point where they're going to go, well, I don't want to get recognized again. And have that, that, if they've got that fear of success sort of scenario. One of the things that I'll do, Nigel, when I'm working in a coaching capacity with new leaders is really encourage them to have that discussion with each of their team members 
because you're right. Some people don't like that. They feel uncomfortable with getting that recognition in front of a group. Um, some people, that's what motivates them, right? You look at a lot of yeah. salespeople, they like their names, you know, up at the top of the leaderboard or, you know, in the flashing lights and that's fine. But what I'll encourage is have that discussion saying, you know, what motivates you? What makes you feel good? And even being really blunt going, hey, if I'm going to give you some feedback, what's the best way to give that to you? Would you prefer it just me give it to you one-on-one? -on -one? Is it something you're happy to, for me to share in front of a group? And, and, and a simple discussion like that, A, gives you valuable information. But what it does is give you a lot of credit in the bank because it's showing that you care about that individual. And you're very interested in going, what makes you tick? And the fact that you're asking the question demonstrates that you care. So just having that discussion, and even for existing managers, if you've worked with a group for a couple of years, there's nothing stopping you from having that discussion. Yeah, that makes sense. That's, I'm, I just, I'm just writing down that, what motivates you. I know the teams that I've been working with, I haven't actually sat and had that conversation with them as, as, as explicitly as that. And I've kind of inferred it from conversations and from getting to know them, but I've not actually, and obviously there's always a chance that I've got that wrong because if I'm basing it on behaviors, that may not be their preferred yeah. uh, behavior that they're working through at the moment. And therefore it may not be the most natural fit if I'm just assuming they're a certain character. So uh, yeah, that's, uh, I've just scribbled that down on a post-it, which I'm going to stick on my wall to think about it. Right. So that's uh, useful. I've only written a few post-its that I've stuck up from these interviews. So that's, uh, yeah, that's a definite one that I'll use. So just thinking about you got those four um, moments there. I wanted to dig back into your history a little bit now off the back of this and kind of go, and these are probably uh, uh, apologies for not even only just come up with these questions really. So apologies for not saying beforehand, but where you have been involved in teams and where you've done use this this um some of these approaches maybe you've they've come up later and and you may not have thought them as the way in this kind of mindset but where have you done it really well did you think or where has it worked as a team really well for you and yeah. also where has it gone really really badly when you've done it differently if if, if there's examples you can share without being too uh, uh without them being too embarrassment for anybody else or yourself so probably for me when it, when it comes to working in a team there's two things and I'll, I'll get to a couple examples in a second Nigel to me when it comes to to teams that you know higher performing teams it really comes down to two things it comes down to the strengths of the relationships within the team and also clarity that the team is aligned on things like purpose objectives uh, roles and responsibilities uh, and as well as behaviors, right? When it comes to relationships, to me, what makes really strong relationships is that personal connection, which ultimately leads to trust. And I got that from uh, a major league baseball manager, Joe Madden, who coached the you know, Chicago Cubs hadn't won the World Series in 108 years. And Joe Madden often talks about with his players, he'll say, the first thing I do is try and create a personal connection because that opens the door to show that I care, but opens that door to creating that foundation of trust. So again, relationships about connection and trust. It's about creating that safety, that comfort that people can share how they feel or share if they disagree, which ultimately leads to being able to provide feedback, to give it and receive it, and also to, to use conflict as a, as, as a tool rather than something about being avoided. So if you can get to the relations right and the clarity right, then to me, you're going to create teams that shine. Now, Across my career, I've, 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 I've been fortunate. I've been in a couple of teams that I would consider a shining team. Um, one in particular sticks out when I was working at Novartis Pharmaceuticals. And this was in a sales team. Um, we all had a, a different region we covered. But that team there, I think that was one of the best ones. And that, the reason why I think was uh, there wasn't a lot of ego, which is kind of surprising because some sales teams, that's that kind of what's, what drives mm -hmm. them. We had a mix, male and female. We had older ones. We had younger ones in the team. Um, one of the things that we did have was a real strong connection. Um, there's research out there that suggests that just by watching teams, by the amount of social time that they spend together, that they can predict up to 30% of the success of that team. And that was one thing that as a group, 
we did well. Uh, once a month, we would have a barbecue in the summer at somebody's house. Uh, if we had conferences coming up on the weekend, we would go to somebody's house, partners would come, we'd get all the goodie bags ready together um, as a group. But we really bonded and connected at, at a personal and social level. And I didn't realize that the research actually showed this. This was just something that, that we experienced. And then when I looked at the research, MIT did some, some work in this space. And they, and they found that, yeah, just by watching how much time that social time teams spend together um, could predict that they would be a higher performing team. Um, that team as well, we were able to share different opinions. Um, and I think that's because we started to build that trust. But there would be times where if somebody, I can remember one of my colleagues was, going in a different territory, you know, he's kind of did something that one of the others disagreed with, but they addressed it sooner than later, and rather than let it stew or, you know, gossip behind happening behind the back. And I remember the person saying that wasn't an easy thing to do, but they did it anyways, and it actually made things better uh, moving forward. We were also very clear in our roles and responsibilities as well, and, and that was something that we worked on on a regular basis. It wasn't just we relied on our, you know, our job descriptions. It was something that was discussed, you know, every three or four months. So that 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 really contributed to our team shining. Um, on the flip side, I think I was on a team, and I, I would say where the relationships aren't that strong, uh, and there's not a lot of clarity. I'll, I'll often refer to those teams as sinking. They're a sinking ship, right? And I worked in a particular team, you know, really good people, but we had a couple people and I was one of them was new to the role, a colleague who was new to the role. Um, and we both wanted to show that we could do the job where in fact, I could probably talk about myself. I struggled because it was a new, it was a completely new role for me. And it took me a while to, uh, you know, get my work out how to do it properly, but I didn't want to share that with anybody. I kept that to myself. So I, you know, I kept the guard up. Um, I didn't want people to think, oh, Jesus, Adrian doesn't know what the hell he's doing here. Whereas in my mind, that's, that's what I was thinking. Yeah, um, yeah. One th another thing is that we, we didn't agree on what were going to be the key behaviors, right? As a team that we had to undertake. So I can remember example, one of my colleagues uh, was running their region and had done a great initiative, was really good with resourcing and staffing their stores and had undertaken initiative and, and, and their, her territory, her stores were performing really well. And I, was, and I really struggled with mine. And then I found this out a few months later and I thought, man, why didn't you share that with us? You know, that would have helped me and I suspect it would have helped my colleagues, but we never really created this, this atmosphere of, of sharing best practices. Um, and to me, had we talked about as a group and agreed, hey, the key to our success, particularly given we've got some new people here, is that we're going to share our wins and we're going to share what works and what doesn't as a group. But we never sat down as a group and said, over the next six months, what are the three or four key behaviors? What are the promises that we're going to make to each other in terms of how we work together? What are those promises going to be to ensure that we all succeed? And we just never did that. And as a result, um, there was, we missed out on opportunities. There started to be a lack of trust. Um, it became very competitive amongst the group. Uh, and over time, you know, after two years, 40% of that team was gone, right? They left mm -hmm. and it just, you know, what? and that's not good for a team. That's not good for an organization because you lose a lot of IP, right? You have to start from scratch again. Uh, the people you work with have to start working with new leaders and that takes up valuable time and takes you away from making really meaningful progress. Yeah, that makes sense because it is it is a case of that the the, that, the storming, norming, forming sort yes. of thing is every time you drop a new individual into a team, there's an element of going back to scrap to the start, isn't there for, for for some of the team and building up that trust, but also understanding just how to deal with a certain person. It's the the simple the disc models sort of things where you talk about how does yeah. someone prefer to be communicated with and getting to know that actually if you want that person to do something, you need to send them all the details, not just the top level, um, can slow progress down massively. Um, and kind of working with those character traits, it's new every time, isn't it? As you say, and you've got churn and churn and that wears you down as a team and as an individual, because you're having to relearn someone new. And uh, if you've got it too, too many, it's just, as you say, you just end up uh, thinking, well, we need some stability. Because I know there's, I've seen situations where, having too many people rolling in and out it just 
you kind of, oh, I'm going through this again. You know I mean, you're going through the same thing that you've been through with every new person on the team. And then that person may be brilliant, but the way that you can approach that going over this same old ground again could immediately alienate that person. Um, you know, Nigel, and, and like, and, and I think it's just this taking, doing some of these activities, you know, even if it's talking about what are the key behaviors that are going to help us drive success or even going over as a group uh, roles and responsibilities, right? You think about the situation we're in right now, probably since March, you know, when COVID hit, mm. a lot of business and a lot of leaders have been reacting, right? It's, it's, we haven't been able to be proactive because there's been so much uncertainty dealt with us. So we just got our head down. We're stuck in the weeds. We're just going to change this. How are we going to adapt to this? How are we going to adapt to that? Teams need to kind of come up, take that, that breath of air. It's like a dolphin, right? Coming up. Yeah. And I think teams need to be doing that right now because it's just been head down and they've been working so hard and dealing with so much change and working from home. And then how are we going to, you know, dealing with new technologies, take pausing even for a couple hours within a team to go, right. We've just had to work a new way. Uh, we probably have to work in a different way than we had previously moving forward. We live in a different world right now. Our business environment is completely different. Take a couple hours to, to reflect on, okay, what worked really well over the last six months? What didn't? And talk about what do we need to do differently for the next three to six months? What's going what's gonna to drive success? But I think it's just been it's such a challenging time right now for leaders and their teams dealing with this uncertainty, but it's critical. It's absolutely critical to, to just pause and reflect with the group and decide what this new normal looks like. Yeah. And if the teams can do that, it's going to reinvigorate. It's going to give them more energy and it's going to set them up for, you know, more moments of shining than sinking. Yeah, I think you're, I think, I think it's something that um, just for, for the listeners in the future, we are recording this in October. And uh, so we're still, uh, and I keep saying this each time. So I don't know whether we're in the middle, the beginning, or towards the end of the COVID nineteen um, uh, pandemic worldwide. And uh, the, early on with this, it's kind of you, you looked at it and you start thinking. Well, immediately people started working remotely, and we've got immediate the the environmental benefits that went through the roof, and the and the company benefits, and you're seeing the likes of. Um, is it Twitter and a couple of other organizations saying we're not going back to offices, um, that we won't do that at all. In fact, I have a, a friend I know who runs a business that they've shut their offices and they've moved to a fully working remote. And that's what they're going to do in future because their team are doing just as well. They have a call center element where I, I think they've just set people up to do that and going, right, there's the kit you need, right? That's it. You're fully functional. And I think it's, there's a lot of organizations you say the shining from that. Some of the organizations that have embraced this and the people who've embraced it and gone, well, we just do this now. Um, it's going to be that benefit's going to go forward, isn't it? But I think again, it's, it's that's something about the challenge for building teams in this remote environment. I've got a team at the moment that well, I'm not sure it would have made much difference, but I would have been able to travel to see them. But I've got one for you and Canada and Australia. They're, they're just around the corner. But for me, they're other end of the UK, um, a few miles away. And, and it's kind of, it's a, a remote team anyway. So how do you think this, this, this pandemic's changed? Like all, all the, the, some of the things that you're talking about, how we build that trust, how we build those relationships between uh, different teams now in this different approach. Yeah, it's, it's a question that I, I've been having a chat with a lot of leaders going, what do we need to do differently? And my view is actually we don't have to do a whole lot differently. Again, if we come back to the foundations of creating strong relationships, right, and creating clarity amongst the team, if we can get those two right, again, we're going to start to drive better performance in, in these teams that shine. I don't think that that changes regardless if we're in the middle of a global pandemic, if we're working remotely now and before we used to work in an office, those are the two boxes we got to tick. It's how we do that, right? So I'm hearing examples of, you know, teams are saying, leaders saying, oh, we're spending more time getting to know people and 
you know, we're starting meetings off with, oh, how are you feeling? Or what did you do on the weekend? Or, you know, talking more about personal things. And to be honest with you, Nigel, when I hear that, sometimes it makes me cringe because I'm going, you're just starting to do that, right? Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can see that, yeah. Right, it's kind of going, but, but, but what's really good about it, this is the positive thing, is that people have, have tried something new, right? Regardless if I think they should have been doing it or not. It actually doesn't matter, <laughs> yeah. right? It's, who the hell's Adrian Belarjan? But, but the, <laughs> fact, the fact that they're trying it and they're seeing that it's creating value, this is my hope and this is what I'm reinforcing is going, if that's working, keep it going, right? Yeah. If, if we get back to working in offices, don't stop doing that. There's a reason why people are responding to that, right? So yeah. I think that's where when, if, if teams are looking back and going, what have they done differently? What are people responding to? Keep that going regardless of the work environment. It, I, I think what I'm seeing is leaders are saying they're having to put more effort into it. Um, and it's just, it's another thing that they have to do. And uh, to me, this is where the teams that are really shining, that it's where the, it becomes a team responsibility and the team uh, take uh, ownership for it versus just relying on the leader to do these types of things. I think one of the benefits that I'm hearing about, um, and I was just talking with a, a director of corporate in Canada the other day, and they said they ran their four day strategy session in two half day sessions online. And what they found was their pre-reading, they did, they, they relied more on pre-reading. Um, they were much more pointed in their discussions. So got to the main points very quickly um, and were more effective with the questions that they were asking. So what they found is that they're, they're actually able to act more efficiently when they're getting together. And I think, again, those are three really great learnings to apply moving forward. Right. So I think when they get on the calls, people are like, yep, this is business. Let's, let's keep moving and making decisions quicker. I think teams are making are putting more trust in their leaders to make decisions because they don't have as much. It's to, you think about if you have to do some get stakeholder management and get a number of people on, well, one, you got to be able to get a hold of them. Right. So you got to be able to get them on the phone or on a zoom. People are in more zoom meetings. So it's harder to get a hold of them. Um, so that's making more challenging to be able just to be able to pop up and pop over their desk and get their opinion on something. So I'm actually seeing more, I guess, freedom and, and more authority given to leaders. And I think, again, that's a sign of trust. And if, if decisions can be made quicker, we can make pro progress quicker as well. So that's, that's a couple of, I think, the positive things that I'm seeing that's happening right now. Excellent. So, just thinking about where we go next with this conversation and I, I'm just looking at your um, teams that swear book pitch there and we covered how it can be good for teams talked a little bit about research talked about how yeah we talked about creating those two things get them to focus on and the insights into the the four types that you were talking about there about the four types of teams um, actually, is that the kind of thing you're, you're talking about before? I, you mentioned the sinking. You've got the spinning, self-serving, and create others that shine. I, mean, I don't think we've covered all of that, really, have we? And I don't want to cover everything so no one never wants to buy your book. But No, we wouldn't want to do that. Would we? No, no, no. Do you want to expand a little bit on those? Yeah, absolutely. So, again, this is, I mean, if you think about teams that, that have strong relationships and have, have a high level of clarity, again, these are the teams that are swearing by each other. These are the teams that are shining. They're most likely having more influence across the business. Um, you're seeing success at a team level and individual level. Um, but another type of team, and this is one that often goes under the radar early on, right? As you think about a time when you've been in a, in a team where the relationships have been really good, right? There's, um, there's trust and connection, right? They've got their safety. People feel they can, they can disagree. They can try and, they can learn, they can make a mistake, and they know it's not going to be held against them. They can provide feedback, and they, they use conflict positively, right? But where there's a low level of clarity. So it's not clear in who's doing what. It's not clear in what the objectives are, right? What is our purpose? I'll call those teams a spinning team because often those teams are working hard, right? They're spending a lot of their energy trying to, to get stuff done, right? Um, they've got all the right intentions, but they're just not making 
any, any real meaningful progress because it's kind of, it's a scattergun approach because they're not aligned in terms of what they're working towards. Um, and what happens with those teams over time is that resentment starts to build because frustration, they're not making that progress, right? At a team level or even individual level, right? Uh, there's not as many opportunities coming their way. Um, and what happens over time is eventually they might start swearing about each other or often that lack of clarity falls under the shoulders of the leader. So I often what a telltale sign for me with a team, if they're spinning is if, if, if there's some cursing going on about the leader, right? They haven't done this. They haven't done that. To me, that's a sign of, 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 of a team that just doesn't have that isn't aligned on the direction of the team. Um, and often that's, that to me is one of the easiest teams to fix because that's just about the leader and the team making a decision, right? What are our objectives? It's about sitting down. I run this exercise, exercise um, with teams where we'll sit down uh, with the group and just spend five minutes each writing down. I call it the circle of clarity, right? And what you do is you get each team member. Let's say we're talking about Adrian and Adrian's role. Everybody gets a sticky note, writes down what they think Adrian's responsible for. And Adrian, I'll write it as well. And then we just share what share our responses with each other. And what you'll find is that probably 80% of what everybody writes agrees with. And I agree, that's the black and the white, that's obvious. But there'll be some items there that I think I'm responsible and somebody else goes, no, that's what I'm responsible for. And I call that the gray. But typically, you know, even take undertaking that exercise can create more clarity amongst the team. And therefore, the team can be much more efficient because it's clear on who's doing what. Um, sharing objectives within the team. I often find when teams have scorecards or you know what their performance is based on, a lot of people keep that close to their chest. And <clears throat> I was in a team where we did that. Nobody shared their scorecard with each other. It was, it was a personal thing. And then I was in another team where we actually shared that. And what we realized is that a couple of us were working towards the same objective. Like the actual measurements of what our performance was based on were similar measurements. And we actually said, Ooh, wait a minute here. We can actually pool resources. We can, we can pool funds and we can make a bigger impact. But that came with people being a little bit vulnerable and going, right, here's what I'm judged on this year. What are you judged on? How can we work together to help each other out? Um, and that's where if these teams that are spinning, they start to do that, you'll start to see some progress and start shifting towards that, that, that team that's shining. I can see how that sharing could really help because you do get that scenario where depending where you are in organizations and I've seen it where there appear to be people conflicting with each other and not meeting the organizational goals it appears and obviously they are incentivized in a certain manner and I can see the fact that if you can see someone else's point of view and go if you all knew what each one's going for even if you're not got the alignment you sit there and understand why they're saying no to giving you those extra resources from their team because they need it to do that. You can kind of empathize better and be able to go, right, okay, right. I get what you're doing. Uh, oh, what if I give you this person to help you? Can you do me this? And you know, you, you can understand that and you can, you could solve the solution, get the solution together to help both of you or just accept the fact that actually that's the wrong person to try and get the help from because they really need to get that sorted. Yeah. And they say, if you don't share it, you don't know it, do you? No. And I, you know what? You, you said a word that I think is worth picking up on. It's the C word. Conflict. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we won't go down the swearing say, C word. But yeah, I was going to say, yeah, we'll be in trouble. I'll yeah, yeah. In a, an explicit rating. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but conflict, right? And often, this is what teams avoid, right? And, mm. and whether it's a sinking team or a self-serving team, that they avoid conflict. They fear it. Whereas teams that can embrace conflict in my mind, conflict is just having a different opinion. Yeah. Right. You've got a view. I've got a view. They conflict with each other. Let's look to understand where the other person's coming from and see what we can come up with. And there's a great story about the Wright brothers, right? So they were apparently you'd walk by their shops and they were renowned their brothers. So they're arguing at each other. They're probably swearing at each other as well, but at least they're doing it in front of each other. Yeah. Sounds like me and my brother. Okay, right. I think anybody who's got a sibling can probably relate to this. Mm -hmm. right. But so everybody thought, man, these guys just just belting each other all the time. But what people, most people don't know is that 
and they were quite switched on with their arguing and they, and they got to a point where they would argue at a certain point and then they would stop and they would switch positions. They would force each other to argue the other's position. And what that would do is it, it, it forced them to think about, right, if I'm going to argue this side now, you know, the, the propeller should be eight feet long or eight meters long instead of three feet long. I've got to argue now the longer one, right? Why would the longer one be better? Well, I'm not an airplane guy, so I'm not even going to come up with what they would argue. But the point is they would force themselves to argue the other point. And what they would find is they were much more comfortable in, in conceding that the other person might be right, or they'd come up with a third option that might be better because they considered a different point of view. Now, that to me is where teams, that's something that's really simple for teams to embrace. And it kind of takes away that fear that conflict comes with because if you, you say we're going to do this on purpose, people aren't going to think that it's a threat on them or that it's, you know, oh, you're telling me I'm not right or my idea is not right. It's actually saying, well, let's just see what it looks like. Let's play a game, jump on the other side and, and, and try and see, convince us that that's the way to do it. Um, I think that's a great way for teams to, to, to use conflict as a tool. Um, there's Ooh. author Shane Snow in his book, Dream Teams, uh, shares some research that was done at Duke University. Um, and there was some research done on this term called intellectual humility. And I'm pretty sure if you go to Shane Snow's website, uh, the Dream Teams website, you can take this test that, that measures your intellectual humility. And essentially what he refers to as that term is the ability to acknowledge that I could be wrong or I could be right, but another idea will work. Yeah. And when teams can embrace, really make that as a strong skill, that intellectual humility can embrace that, all of a sudden discussions go to a much deeper level because they're going, right, you know what? That idea could work. I need to understand more of it. Tell me more. Help me understand it. And if intellectual humility can become a trait of a team, you're going to get much more innovation, right? You're going to have fewer mistakes um, because everybody's talking about the different considerations and options and scenario planning. Um, and it was interesting what, what, what in the research, what they found is that people, one of the traits of people who scored higher intellectual humility were people that lived in different countries who had experienced living in a different country, particularly in a different lifestyle, right? So if you lived in a third world country uh, for a period of time, you realize life has lived very differently there but they're still able to live. They're still able to get things done, drive innovation, right? Businesses still run in, in, in a third world country compared to a first world country. But you realize it's a real eye opener to go, actually, there's different ways to do things. Um, and I think that's something, when I, when I share these stories with teams, when I'm working with them and almost giving them permission to be wrong, they jump all over it. And then the ideas that come out are much, you know, much more effective, much more innovative. And you can feel the energy of the team lift because they're not worried about having to be defensive or being the one that's right. It's more about, we just need to get the right outcome versus me being right. Yeah. Cause the, there's something that, that I, I I've seen before is that quite often I have a conversation and, and people are, are blinkered by assuming there's only one way to do something. And it's, and, and this will be a reflection of some of those things of, um, we've always done it this way. That's the way it works. And then you'll get someone challenging that and saying, well, why don't we do, why don't we just all work from home and do it remotely? And it's kind of be, well, that's not going to work. And then something comes along that makes you do that and you discover it does work. And I think that the, the, the ability to that step into someone else's shoes is a really, a real great step, way of doing it. It sounds, because there's, it's 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 all we always talk about trying to step into other people's shoes mm. um just to whether you say you say if you've got another third world country and just trying to understand that and actually think well if if i'm if i look it from their point of view it's different but then if you take even that step further like you say with the the Wright brothers i just think that's a fantastic way of forcing you safely to do it and that's the thing is it always especially if you've got it, I'm guessing that to do this, depending on where the maturity of the teams are, being able to get everyone to join into that 
is a lot harder with a, a team that's got lots of backbiting and being very defensive and very non-trusting compared to one that you were talking about, one of the ones that was spinning the spinning team, which they really trust each other, got a great culture, just hate their boss. Um, that, that, that together they quite happily work stuff out, I guess, um, unless the boss asks them to. Um, and it's kind of like, um, yeah, it, it just feels natural to do it that way. It reminds me of a um, an interview I did with um, with uh, Ruth Pierce, who's um, uh, did uh, it's called. Um, strength-based um, team building yep. and based on using uh, a sort of analysis of your own, all the team, do your analysis of what your key strengths are and kind of highlight them and share them between the teams. And they talk openly about the strengths and then they start, and some people are going, oh, that person's really good at doing X or this strength. And it's just a set of 20, I think, different strength things. And having that conversation with all the group together and going, hang on a minute, we're doing this work, but actually you're better at doing this. Why don't you do it? And being able to do the same sort of thing and being understanding where other people's strengths are and being able to use those strengths to say, well, actually I'm the wrong person to do this. I'm really rubbish at detail. You're really good at it. Shall we move and I'll do that. I'm better at doing that thing, whatever. And then you, the, the team starts not only coming up with solutions, but also dividing up the work and you get the whole self-managing teams concept that you have that that plugs into where you have a team that but in order for those teams to self-manage they've got to understand each other whether that be from that and trust each other absolutely and you know what that reminds me of you know this this idea of sharing with each other your strengths and and going well i'm good at this and i'm not so good at that you're good at this this comes back to roles and responsibilities as well and this is, a, this, is, this is something for, if there's anybody that's listening right now that has a new person that's joining the team, right? Think about it. The new person comes in, they've got the job description. And I think we all know that when we read a job description, that's actually <laughs> created in a point of time based on the current situation. And it's probably a little bit ideal as well. Let's be honest. Right? Well, it's the marketing blurb, isn't it, for the product as well? <laughs> yeah. You know, so, then, so somebody comes in, they go, all right, this is my job. But then, you know, usually after two days, you go, oh, okay, this isn't quite exactly what I signed up for. But this is where uh, I've got an example where I was working with, you know, in an organization, I had a new colleague come in uh, that had come into a role and we spent a good half day just one-on-one -on -one getting real clear and going, what, what is the bit we know is your job and what is the bit we know that's my job? And then if there's something that we're not quite sure whose responsibility that falls, we put that kind of in a middle column, right? So you can imagine three columns, Nigel's job, Adrian's job, and the question mark, or what I call the gray. And the fact that we could talk about, we could get real clear and say 80% of it, but the things that we weren't sure about, it was so beneficial that we identified what we weren't sure about, because it would be better to know that now then down the track and we're both trying to, to do that job or neither of us are doing that job. Yeah. Right. And what we did is just over time, when that gray bit came up, we would talk, right. This needs to be done. What are your thoughts on this? Right. So we would do, we did that to kick off, but we would do that every six months because things change so quickly. Jobs change so quickly. The needs of the business change so quickly. Customers, their demands are changing overnight. Right. And so that's why, again, having those these discussions and this is i'm big my big thing is just like uh i worked with one company one team and, and they came up with this promise to each other and i love it it's called say it sooner right to me within teams if you can say what you're thinking sooner right have those conversations on a regular basis you're going to be much better off there's going to be less drama less swearing about each other less wasted energy um, but it's just about having that conversation excellent yeah i can, I can see that I'm just looking at the, the fight. I think the final type of team that I don't think we've talked about yet, um, or maybe we have, no, I don't think so. The self-serving teams. What yes. are they? Tell us more. Well, Nigel, I don't know if you can think of a team or maybe a project you worked on where there's high levels of clarity, right? So everybody's clear on the purpose of the team. Everybody's clear on their roles and responsibilities, right? Um, they're clear on the objectives, 
But when it comes to them working as a team, there's no trust, right? Uh, their feedback is ignored. It's not given, right? Or if it is, it's done in a really negative old school way. Um, conflict is done negatively or it's not done at all, right? So you got high levels of clarity, but the way that the relationships in the team are really, really poor. And, and yeah, that's the team that I call self-serving, right? And what you'll typically find in the team, and, and again, these are traits to look for. Are there divisions? Are there cliques within the team, right? Um, someone suggested to me, you can tell a self-serving team if somebody's always going to the parking lot to take a phone call, because they're probably t talking to a recruiter because they want out. <laughs> I thought that was a funny, funny way to look at it, right? But often energy in those teams is spent on the wrong things. It's talking about each other behind their bat, the back or playing the political game or just looking after themselves. And what happens with those teams is you, you, you might get some winners and you'll get some losers, but you've also got some sinners in there. They just going about taking care of number one. And sometimes with those teams, you might see some short-term success at an individual level, but over time, those teams get found out and you see high levels of turnover. Um, and eventually the behaviors, uh, you know, they may agree to them, but they don't actually do them. So it's more about talking than doing. Um, and all, that'll come to bite them back in the ass. And uh, again, so you can look at teams that have high levels of turnover, look for the clicks, look for that talking behind each other's back. If these are things that are happening within your team, you know, I'd be recommending make some deliberate steps to start building connection amongst the team, right? Bring up the issues. Say, hey, well, how well do we trust each other? And you can do that through a conversation. You can bring it up through surveys. I find that people are much more likely to talk to data about a team than to bring up issues themselves. So that's why I've created something called the AB Team Dynamics so that uh, people can share their shots, their thoughts <laughs> through, the, through a survey and then when I present the data, people are talking about the data instead of the people. And it becomes this bridge to safety to bring up some issues amongst the team. But yeah, if you look for some of those traits there, to me, that's, that's an alarm bell saying, right, you need to start working on developing some connection and improving the trust. Excellent. So I think we've covered, well, you talked about teams that shine as well. Those are the ones I'm, that are recognizing each other, I guess. But um, and we've been running now for a good 40 minutes, I think, something like that. It's been, um, there's a couple of final questions I've got for you, really. Okay. If, if you've got, and, and, and of all the little nuggets of um, information that you've got in there, if you've got someone, and a similar question that I asked to, to, to my project management guests, but if you had someone that was um, an experienced manager, they'd been through team or, or even team member, because to me, the, the team members can make this difference as well as the team mm. leaders as well in these scenarios. But it, it's someone who is in a team that feels that there's something not right and something could be better, whether it is a, a spinning team or a self-serving team or, or a sinking one. What one thing would you say would be the best thing for them to do? Out of all, that's, I know it's difficult to boil it down to one, just one, but what would be the number one, first step? Yeah. So as a leader, what I would try to do is start to build a connection amongst the team. And uh, because ultimately the behaviors of the individuals, it's, it's human behavior. And the fact is our brains are trained to treat uh, what is perceived as a nasty email or a nasty tone of voice to treat that as a threat, no different than back when we we're in Neanderthals and there's a bear in Canada, you know, a bear would be chasing you maybe, Somewhere else, it might be a tiger, but in Canada, it'd be a bear, right? It, it, it feels like a our brain treats it like a life-threatening uh, incident. So right away, right, the guards go up and we either fight or flight. It's really important to understand that that's the initial reaction, and that's okay. It's natural. But I think to, to improve behave, human behavior amongst each other, if you can start to create that connection, something as simple as... Um, there's a, uh, an Australian rules football team here called the Richmond Tigers. And they went through years, a big drought of not winning uh, the premiership flag. And they talk about an exercise they started to do amongst a team called triple H. 
And what they did after every team meeting is they'd spend 10 minutes and they had the group share a hardship, each individual, one individual would get up in a meeting and they would share a hardship, a highlight, so something they're really proud of, and their hero. So Triple H. And they, it really gave, it gave, it was a platform for the team or the individuals to share really personal stories. Um, I've heard of a similar example done in the National Football League, right? The gridiron, and these big 300 pound monsters um, would go up there and share a photo from the childhood, right? And what it did is it brought the human element to the table hmm. and it created connection. People would, you know, if they'd gone through similar challenges, they could relate to each other. Um, I th that's a perfect example of going, if you can start to create that personal connection, even something with that Triple H, you will see difference in behaviors. You will see that almost immediately. You'll, you'll get a, a big energy rush from doing it. But over time, you start to see people, they, the care factor goes up um, and they start to find ways that, to support each other. So to me, it, it comes back to this connection. Yeah, I've seen situations where I've, I've had people who are new on teams and I know that they are, have similar interests in something whether it be a certain football team, a, a, a motorcycling or whatever. And quite often it'll be, a, when I've introduced people straight off, it will be a case of this person's interested in the same thing as you are. And that, so immediately they, you've given them that shared connection yeah. or even, even, even at like a, I was going to say dinner party then. I don't go to dinner parties, but to a friend's house and you meet someone new and you two new people and you go, oh, this person likes this, this person likes this, you two all get on. And you kind of have that conversation. You do it in those social situations, whereas at work it kind of feels like you don't quite often. And I find it's quite a useful way of, of just doing that, breaking down that first wall, isn't it? Because even so, they can just find out something that's safe for them to talk about and something they're interested in. Yeah, and where... You talk about safe, right? And, you know, if you have a similar, you like the same football team or whatever it might be. To me, that's kind of, that's kind of scraping at the top a little bit. But I, I run a, a similar activity. And in, in, in one of them, uh, the, the gentleman who was sharing his, his life story, he started out by saying, look, I've only told three people in the world this. And right away, you could feel there's kind of goosebumps amongst the team. Mm. Everybody leaned in. They're like, holy man, what is this? And, and the gentleman went on to share how he, he struggled with anxiety and depression um, over his life. Uh, he really opened up. He dropped the guard, right? And he shared his experiences. And there was two things that happened there, right? One, he showed he was willing to be vulnerable amongst and trust the team. So that opened the door for the others to, 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 to be the same way. But secondly, we talked about strengths before. One of the things he talked about was, because of my anxiety, I struggle if things aren't planned out well in advance. So what he would do is if he, he had to travel to another country, to another head office, he would get a, plan out his schedule, right? And he would ask one of his colleagues, can you make sure, fill in any meetings you want me to go to, right? And of course, the colleague, it wasn't a priority for them. They didn't do it. But he shared with his team, the reason I do that, because it helps me deal with my anxiety, Right. And I can be better for me. I can be better for the team if I'm planned ahead. But what that showed, Nigel, was, you know what? Planning is a natural skill. It's almost a survival skill for that team member. Right. Yeah. So when it comes to planning for that team, who does that, that, that is good at it and, and thinks about a number of different situations? That guy who shared that personal story about him. So there's a number of benefits from building that trust to also going, wow, who's, you know, how can we use the skills of our group more effectively? Oh, that's really interesting. Yeah. Brilliant. So I have run out of questions. Um, and I think for me, it's getting late. Um, and <laughs> I know it's early for you. You probably got a busy day ahead. Um, is there anything, um, last few things that you want to say about uh, the book or about uh, the sort of services you deliver or anything about helping people with, with moving on to this? And then we'll, we'll have, have a chat about just talking up contact details of how people can get hold of you. Yeah, absolutely. So again, if this is for either for new leaders or existing leaders, the idea of teams that swear is to be this checklist. Right, and it's something that you can refer to on an ongoing basis. So, is it like just like you said, you know, what happens if you've got a team that's spinning? What to do? 
the ideas for the book, you can flip to the chapter that's going, okay, the relationships are good, but clarity is not so good. That you can go there, take some of the ideas, take some of the learnings from some of the leaders from across the world and apply them. They're really, they're, my goal was to give real life, um, I guess, exercises that, that will work. Not just stuff that sounds good in theory, but things that I've seen work in the workplace. So that's where, again, if you're looking to add another toolbox uh, to your, you know, your leadership toolbox, then, you know, teams that swear could be something that uh, could help you, again, create the, these teams that shine. Brilliant. Thank you for that. And if people want to find out more, where should they go? How should they get hold of you? What's the best way? Well, there's two options. You can go to adrianbelargen.com, but Belargen. Uh, it's not only a mouthful to say, but it's, it's, it's pretty hard to spell. So um, I, I will put a link in the show notes to it. Yep. Awesome. Thanks for that, Nigel. Uh, the other thing is you can go to teamsthatswear.com. That will give you some insights into the book. Um, it can allow you to put your name on, on the list to be notified when it's released. At this stage, it's due for release in November of 2020. And um, all the information is there and more information about myself as well. So that's at teamsthatswear.com. Brilliant. So for those out there, we are, we, as I say, we are recording this in early October and we were discussing this earlier about whether this will go out before or after or during the release. So um, it may be that it's already out um, when this hits the, the airwaves or whatever you call it nowadays with the internet. <laughs> um, if it's over 5G, I suppose it is airwaves. Um, brilliant. Um, all I can say is thank you, Adrian. It's been a, a fascinating conversation. And uh, I've got two sticky notes on my wall now uh, from this conversation. So you're leading my sticky notes from these conversations. Um, uh, and uh, yeah, thank you very much and have a fantastic rest of the day. Right on. Hope you have a good sleep tonight, Nigel. Yeah, I will. Cheers. Well, I hope you enjoyed that. Um, I enjoyed the chat immensely. Some really interesting concepts that Adrian has come up with. Uh, if you want to get hold of a copy, um, just pop along to www.teamsthatswear.com and uh, that'll take you onto Adrian's uh, website and get you the, to the right place. Um, I think that's it. Uh, the easiest ways to order it. it is on Amazon and I think there's a Kindle version as well so depending on your preferences you can grab a copy um, that's it really so again this time now I uh, will leave you alone until the new year enjoy your Christmas and look after yourself thanks very much bye bye well it's goodbye from me Nigel Creaser and it's goodbye from him the Sunday lunch PM goodbye Sprints, tobacco, items, and a fictional benefits case.